Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. You know, when we think of women in the Second World War, we often think of them working in foundries or putting bolts on planes or serving in a variety of different roles. And I'm actually going to go to a National Film Board video that kind of shows how people saw women in the workforce during the Second World War. This video was made in 1946 and it's called to the ladies. I'm going to play a very brief clip of it. In 39, I believe war was a man's job, until I saw women in uniform. 45,000 wrens, quacks, and WDs. Skeptically, I thought, ah, the romance of a uniform. But they rolled up their sleeves and pitched into an amazing assortment of jobs. And as they took over these duties, many of them dull, dirty, and monotonous, they released men for frontline fighting. Then there was the farm front. Kids I'd seen playing the jukebox had gone out of the drugstores and into the fields. They picked fruit and pulled vegetables. They were burnt and blistered and full of kinks, but they stuck to the job. And farm women, who had always worked hard, now worked twice as hard with half the help. I said to my daughter-in-law, it can't last. I wondered why she smiled. Then industry gave a sort of national wolf whistle. I said women wouldn't pay any attention. But they came from all over Canada. By thousands, they poured from the railway stations. By tens of thousands, they signed on the payrolls of Canadian war plans. They heaved heavy shells along the assembly lines. Hands trained to sew a fine seam threaded their way through intricate machinery. Like most skeptics, I looked a lot before I believed a little. With nothing but flimsy gauze between their pretty faces and sudden death, they loaded shell detonators. And in scientific research, without a flutter, they even handled rats. In shipyards, I saw mamas toss red-hot rivets as accurately as pancakes and handle the riveting gun as ably as the next guy. I was still a skeptic. But common sense told me not to laugh out loud. And I used to think shipyards were sacred to men. It seemed those days I couldn't get away from women. They carried my bags and even drove the buses on our route. Sure, these were essential services, but even the horse seemed surprised at first. Oh, well, I had a lot to learn. Now, the reason that I played that clip was because I had the wonderful pleasure 
of interviewing Sandra Badalini. And Sandra wrote a thesis called Don't Go Down the Mine, Mama, Women at Inco During World War II. Now, the Inco mines in Sudbury were of a vital importance to the war effort, and as Sandra will point out, they actually helped both sides of the war effort before and during the war. Before the war, the nickel helped to build the German war machine, and then during the war, it helped to build the Allied war machine to fight the Germans. So that's a really interesting uh, angle towards it. But she did this thesis on the women who began working in the mines, or not in the mines, but at least at the mines in Sudbury. And it was a fascinating read, and it was really interesting to learn this history, because we don't often think about women working at mines when we think of the Second World War and the role that women played in it. So we're going to go to the interview with Sandra right now. First question is, uh, kind of what got you interested in writing your thesis on the Inco mining women? Well, um, so when I was in my master's year, uh, like the first year was you know, coursework. And then we, um, originally I wanted to do my thesis on, uh, post-World War II Italian immigrant workers because my father was one. Mm -hmm. And then, and, but my supervisor at the time said, start looking into the employee files, uh, from the 1940s. Cause if we're going to look post-World War II, we want to be able to offer the context, you know, of the decade before. So when I started looking at the, um, files, I started seeing all these women and I was like, what are these women doing here? You know, first it was seeing Italian women, right? Yeah. And then there was a visiting professor from Université Montréal, Bruno Ramirez, who's a very, uh, you know, well-known labor historian. And he came to speak to, you know, coach the master students about their theses. And so when he came, he was like, and I told him what I was working on. He's like, you need to focus on those, on the women, because uh, it was a much more like, you know, um, sort of story. There was a beginning, middle, and end because, uh, you know, it was when the emergency, the War Measures Act came, they temporarily suspended, um, you know, obviously all legislation and introduced an order in council that allowed women to go work underground. Uh, not actually underground because they never went underground, but allowing women to work at a mine because it was it was illegal for women to work uh, at a mine except in a clerical or domestic capacity. Mm-hmm. So then, then it was just like, then I, you know, I basically spent, you know, several months, uh, you know, at the Inco archives gathering all of the, um, employee information. And then, yeah. And then I got to interview and meet them like, a, you know, several of them. So it was just honestly one of the best experiences of my life, <laughs> um, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I kind of noticed in in uh, reading your your thesis was like you mentioned Rosie the Riveter and all these other common uh, you know, like when you see images of women in the Second World War working they're you know putting bolts on planes things like that and so do you feel like women in mining even though mining was such an important industry during the war do you feel like women in mining were overlooked when we kind of look back on on women in the workforce back then? Oh, absolutely. It was so. It was as though they were disregarded the the thing about mining it's it's it was the most blatant example of temporarily bringing women into the workforce and then when the war ended you know the uh the the peace the order in council was suspended and or or returned and women were no longer allowed to work at a mine until the late 70s so when you know a lot of the um you know historians talk about that time period they say uh you know, this was a temporary initiative and in no way, 
you know, according to some historians, in no way represented a meaningful entry or, or like a, you know, part, women's participation in the workforce because it was for such a short time. Um, but so definitely, like, no one had up until that point really looked at women working at, at, uh, at, in, the mining, in the mining industry. And in fact, it was so significant uh, mining was so significant, nickel mining, because it was, you know, deemed a war priority metal. Mm-hmm. And all the other, all the other mines were closed, like all the other gold mines were closed around. And, and because it was, um, because, because it was an essential material, men could opt out of going to fight and they could actually stay and work at the mine. So, mm-hmm. and, and that, that nickel was literally, I mean, I don't know if you know this, and this is something that's not really, I mean, there might, you might find one or two things on the internet, but basically because Inco was an American company, uh, that nickel that they produced uh, literally fed Hitler's war machine and our, and, and militarized, you know, them with, you know, so that's like, <laughs> and, and Sudbury became rich because of it. Yeah. So it's like a little known fact. It's like, for some you know who know i'm not saying for some reason obviously there's reasons why it's not well known but you know i've been i've been tampering with a um a screenplay for a long time about this uh you know about women's participation Mm -hmm. there um but yeah it's such a fascinating like you know i i i was in the you know at the archives in ottawa pouring over the large ledger books that showed you know that how many it's in my thesis too and i i I might misquote myself because i haven't read it in a while but (laughs) How many millions of tons of nickel uh, went went to um, Hitler? Like I saw it in the, the ledger books myself. So, really? you know, yeah. So it was <laughs> like being, watch seeing that you're like, wait a minute, this is insane, you know. And and then you know pro- after the war, Sudbury was like this was rich, you know, because it was producing all this stuff uh, for the war, and then. And, and then it ended up being like, you know, the site of, you know, major labor movement, like one of the most, uh, you know, violent labor movements uh, in, you know, around mm-hmm. because of because of it. Because, you know, during, you know, I met I met a woman who was secretly organizing for the mine mill union. So Inco had introduced their own union. Um, I can't remember what they were called, but during the war, you know, this this one woman in particular, she she secretly signed up people to join mine mill. And that was the union that, you know, they of course uh, said that it was a communist Marxist union, which I mean, in all intents and purposes, sure. You know what I mean? But like, Mm -hmm. that was the union that became, you know, the union after, after the war. Um, And you kind of mentioned it here. And it was something I found really interesting in the thesis. Uh, Like you said, women were forbidden from certain mine jobs. Uh, there was all these rules for women, like a matron had to be employed for any group of women. Uh, if there was 12 or more, uh, women couldn't clean or oil any moving machinery part. And then also that they couldn't go into the mine. And I guess it was a big part of that, just this weird superstition that a woman in the mine was bad luck. Yeah, I know. It's so funny. Those, <laughs> those like, you know, examining, examining the, you know, the, the company records and the government documents and then, you know, looking at all the, uh, you know, media and, well, and, and, you know, correspondence or like advertising, like describing to the public what was going on. Yeah, it was like, you know, they infantilized women. They treated them the same way that they treated 
um, you know, teenage boys, when they brought teenage boys into the workforce at Inco, is very much the same. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously they stopped doing that because, and which was one of the reasons why they brought women in was because, you know, they could no longer employ boys, young boys <laughs> at the mine, you know. So, but when you look at some of the adverts, I mean, the, the articles that they had, you know, the Sudbury Star, it's like, you know, I don't know if you if you saw that, but it's like, hey, look at this person. She's operating this machine. It's like she's operating a an ice cream machine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they, they, because they were so preoccupied ensuring they wanted to ensure the public that in no way were women taking men's jobs, and that was a big deal. Uh, so they wanted to make sure that that was not what people understood. You know, and that this was just temporary, and these women were just filling in. Yeah, and they and they treated them like very obviously they. You know, uh, yeah, the fact that they had the matrons, uh, which, you know, God, that was very important to have those at the time. Um, but, yeah, the way that they treated them, the way they talked about them was, you know, very uh, obviously, um, what's the word? What's that P word? Uh, patronizing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. And I guess kind of related to that, you had a really good quote from a Maria B. where she says, I worked a quarter a day, $15 a month, I know hard work, I'm talking about housework. And so, like you said, it, it kind of uh, treated the women like they were almost infants working. But, you know, these women have had worked hard jobs like, you know, cleaning houses yeah. and things like that for hours and hours a day. Um, and do you feel like the women coming in... Uh, like they were ready for that kind of work. Like they, they wanted to prove the people uh, in the community and the company wrong that, you know, they could do more than, than what the uh, company and the community and the, the newspapers and things like that were kind of saying they could do. Yeah. I mean, I think that they just felt the call. Like when, you know, when I actually sat down and talked to them, then I understood it differently. You know, people don't like the women didn't see necessarily those, those gender divisions or being, or, or the way that, like, you know, at the time, they might have not interpreted it that way, but they were ready to, they were ready to participate and were so happy to participate. And, you know, some of the women said that it was the best time of their lives. So, yeah, housework was pretty much what women did before, before the war in Sudbury. Because Sudbury, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, in the, in the early years, was predominated mostly by men. Mm -hmm. because men were coming in to work at the mine and uh so it was a very much a male dominated town and then you know obviously men started to you know settle and then women and you know and the women came but it was like this is a man's town you know mm -hmm. these early these early um settlements that were resource driven you know uh cuz Sudbury was discovered i mean Sudbury became Sudbury because they discovered nickel while they were building the railroad in the 1880s. So that's how it all started. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah. Um, did women come from many different areas, like not just in Sudbury, but kind of from all yeah. over Ontario to uh, work in the mines or at the mines? All over Canada. Mm -hmm. All over Canada. Yeah. Um, and I guess you kind of touched on this, but Within the community, how was it seen women working at the mine? Like, how did the community of Sudbury kind of did the? I, I don't know if they would they embraced it, but like, how was it seen uh, overall? Well, you know, I think that it was just a point of pride for for a lot of people. You know, they, I mean, in the newspapers, you know, they just wanted to ensure that you know 
women weren't taking over their jobs. And, you know, truthfully, even I, you know, when I spoke to some of the women, they were like, yeah, we didn't want to take, we wanted the men to come home. Yeah. And when it, and when it, but they, but when the war ended and then they were let go, you know, they were, you know, a lot of them talk about how they cried a lot and they wished that they could have continued working there, you know? So that, and that's what makes that, this experience so different from other, um, you know, war industries like, um, munitions factories and, you know, uh, bomb factories, which are the same, um, and car and, you know, auto and airplane manufacturers, because women did stay on afterwards because they, you know, they would do things like upholstery and all that kind of stuff. But at Inco, it was like, that was it. And so it was, you know, because, and, and that has a lot to do with the fact that mining, you know, hard rock mining is, a you know, a very male job, you know, or mm-hmm. at least like, in, because, and you, you know, even now, I mean, there's, you're not going to find that many women underground. You know, when I was doing my master's, I got a tour, you know, the smelter, we went like 3,500 feet underground, which I would never do again because the thought of it, I can't even believe I did it, but underground. And then just going that deep and you go and it's just like, you know, men, like they touched the ground and the in the ceiling like it was they were that huge you know these mm-hmm. were these were massive massive drills and you know they just had the light on their helmets uh, uh you know and it was like oh this is this is not uh this doesn't feel this does not feel great <laughs> but it's a but you know but because but because it was the like a lot of strength was needed for that kind of work those same men were needed to be in the war effort like it was the same kind of you know person that they were looking for Mm -hmm. so um but yeah i mean it it was you know it's kind of like the similarities between what's what what's happened then and what's going on now are so the parallels are really similar in so many ways you know because it was a complete readjustment of society um for the war effort you know, which is which is what the what the Green New Deal advocates talk about, and mm-hmm. what and then you know what almost accidentally is happening now. It's like the society is completely readjusting for this new, you know, for what's happening, and you know, which is really mostly because of climate change. But it's like this total reorganization of our economies, of our societies, and it's very similar. It's really astounding. Absolutely, and uh, reading through the, the thesis, it mentions that women could be let go for a variety of reasons, including pregnancy, getting married, things like that. And the more majority of the women worked less than six months. Uh, I guess not majority. I think it was like 39% or something, but why, why, uh, why did you find that most women did work for kind of sh- such a short period of time? You know, I think that it was because like in 1942, you know, that's when Canada um, entered the war effort. Uh, and so it was like, that's when Canada was like, okay, now we need to reorganize the society to support this war effort. So it was like, it was all in waves. So, you know, the first wave of like, okay, we we need X amount of women to do this work. And I think that's, I think that's why the, 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 the time of work was short because it all just happened in, you know, spurts, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It was Mm -hmm. like, the war effort starts, okay, let's usher in these women, 
and you know and then and you know a lot of them too were like most a lot of the women were like single women too you know what i mean and i guess so you know it was i think it was just because like they just over the well 42 so three years it was just like they just brought in women in in different at different times depending on the demand you know what i mean and as the war as the war you know kept going then the demand increased and so you know that's why that's why you see sort of fluctuations in length of employment. Um, in regards to the matrons, uh, it, it, reading the thesis, it seemed like there was some distrust of matrons by the by the women who were working at the mine. Um, was it a case of the matrons were kind of serving as that that link between mine management and and the women or was that just because you know they were the women in charge and you know no different than guys looking at a supervisor it's that's the corporate guy he's working for the other guys he's not part of us uh yeah yeah was it kind of the same thing or like i said was it just you know that person they're in charge so they can't possibly be on our side yeah absolutely it was just and also because this matron was like, what, what, what exactly was the matron? It was like a baby. It was, you know, a, a, it was a supervisor for women, you know, with that very, um, um, uh, what's, we, we just said that word patronizing, <laughs> uh, attitude toward them. So I think that, you know, like you look at even just the way that they treated them was not, it wasn't, it wasn't in a equal way. It's not like, you know, they, they just looked down on them and treated them, you know, in a sort of second class way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it was like, I think it was just the nature of ushering women into a, into this place that was dominated by men. So how are we going to manage that? And, you know, there, there was all sorts of great stories about like, there was this one woman called the, was she called the ball of fire? Anyways, apparently she would like, she'd have sex with a bunch of men and then she had chlamydia. So that's why they called her the ball of fire. And was it the ball of fire? Oh my God. I need to reread. I need to reread. I think it was. Yeah. yeah that was the best. Like the stories were the best. I mean, and I, I interviewed mostly women of Italian descent uh, because, you know, that's who I focused on. Um, and, you know, I, I interviewed a couple of non-Italian women, but these women, what was amazing about these women was like the first time I met them, we met at the, uh, the church in Coppercliff and they were like in their eighties. And here are, here's a group of women who grew up together in this small, you know, company town. And, you know, the part of that Italian community that, you know, during world war two were, um, you know, were deemed, uh, enemies of the, of the, of the country, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, there was a lot of that going on, but just, just the, the, I think that in that community, especially you had like an inner supervision going on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everyone knew each other. So the, the workers, like they knew that someone was always looking after them and, and out for them. And also, Oh, like I'm going to spy on you. And if you do anything, I'm going to tell your parents, <laughs> you know, it did seem kind of like they were, making the matron like a babysitter over over yeah. the women and like you said very in a very patronizing way it wasn't a supervisor it was just somebody to kind of watch them and yeah i i found the matron thing very interesting yeah it really it really is it's so true <laughs> and i yeah and i think it's just yeah it's that it's that thing of like 
you know, the, the person who stands between you and management and, you know, has this idea that like, you know, whatever of superiority, um, and, and, and so on. So I think, you know, like, it's just such an interesting, it's such an interesting story. Absolutely. Um, and I guess my last question is, you know, like, like you said, the women worked for, I think a maximum of about three years and then the war was done. And then unlike other industries, it was okay. You know, men are back at the mine. Women aren't working there anymore, but looking in the long term, what role did the women play in helping change labor laws? Do you feel across Canada, just by the efforts that they put in, in working at the mines? You know, it's, it's hard to tell. It's just that it took until the late seventies for women to actually uh, go underground. So, you know, it seems I, like the I, mine really kind of lagged behind a lot of other industries. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Because like, you know, some people would say, well, the war effort, you know, um, sparked the feminist movement. You know what I mean? And, and, mm-hmm. you, and really, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, that that was the case in a lot of ways, because like, here's women, here are women, you know, during this time of crisis doing non-traditional work. And then, you know, uh, and then being let go or like, obviously, even even in the munitions factories, a lot of women were let go. But a lot of women stayed on in different capacities and and working in that industrial, you know, in the industrial complex, of course, definitely moved, you know, the the idea of like women's participation, you know, equality Mm -hmm. of women's work, um, I mean, for I think I think in Sudbury, what's what's really significant though is the is the was the creation of the mine mill union. So I think that definitely had so much to do with women's uh, labor force participation and rights of workers. You know, maybe not it like right after the war, like it was mostly men because, but the women were fighting with their men to get better condi- working conditions. Because, you know, if you if you look back from when Inco started, you know, the late 1800s, you know, even and before the war, the conditions were terrible, mm-hmm. you know. And then, and then after the war, mine mill unions happened. And then, you know, Sudbury, the workers in Sudbury became the best paid workers in the world. You know, the miners there became the best paid workers in the world. And that definitely contributed to, you know, better, better work conditions for women inevitably mm-hmm. you know what i mean but specifically specifically at the mine you know not not you know it didn't it didn't materialize until the late 70s but it was like you know in a, in a one industry town those things are difficult right yeah like major labor diverse labor force participation is 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 very difficult you know because when you have a mine i mean and this is obviously the problem often in in Canada. Um, but you know, Sudbury was just an extraction. That was just an extraction industry. So it was just primary and secondary, uh, manufacturing. Like you took out, you took out the, you know, the nickel and the ore and the copper, and then you processed it and then you shipped it out. So, you know, which is, which is literally uh, has so much to do with our relationship with the United States. So if they would have developed a tertiary industry in Sudbury around the manufacturing of things, you know, Sudbury wouldn't have experienced the shocks that it did over time. Like my dad worked at Inco, you know, the whole, like for my whole life until he retired. And I mean, you know, there were layoffs and there were strikes. Mm -hmm. Um, So the town always experienced the shock of wherever that, wherever that company 
you know, whatever experience the town experienced, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for women, for women in particular, you know, employment was definitely, uh, there, there, there were minimal places that women could participate, you know? And that, obviously that's changed now because Sudbury is a much more, uh, you know, has a lot more, um, you know, sectors, mm-hmm. but really if, if, and now, and now it's, you know, Valet, which is the mining company uh, from Brazil. But if Sudbury, if that, if they stopped mining in Inco, I uh, sorry, in Sudbury, I wonder what kind, what would be left there? What would, what would Sudbury be if, and you know, Sudbury saw a boom just like maybe in the last uh, 15, 10, 15 years or more because of China. Yeah. And the need for nickel to power that massive industrial experiment. <laughs> That's all just crashed. That's all just crashed. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> because it's like if the women were not brought in, I mean, what would they have done? You know, this was this was this was such a significant uh, moment, um, obviously, and and in a town like Sudbury, you know, and especially this is what I want to like bring up now is just I I want to you know share the story of you know the fact that this this was the site of like uh you know Hitler's war machine mm-hmm. you know i'm sure there were multiple sites but this one was a big one and you're like oh but weren't we on the allied side so you know i i just love that stuff uh and you know basically i am trying to meld in a few stories on the screenplay because one of the women that um one of the stories i found most fascinating was you know i'm in the employee files and uh, I see there's this woman um, who, you know, starts, starts working at Inco. She has a child and a husband, but he, but he's deceased. He's, he's passed away. And then, and then I find his employee file and, you know, you know, cause of death. Uh, I guess it was like, I can't remember the exact terminology. It would be like, he says, um, but he dies at the smelter. Mm-hmm. Then I need her. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was just amazing. And she said that, Basically, so this one morning, you know, their daughter's two, and he's going off to work. This is during the war. And he's going off to work, and he kisses them goodbye. And then he turns back around and does it again. She's like, that was unusual. And then 20 minutes later, she they call and, and say that uh, um, he he uh, fell into, like, one of the vats. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, and that was it. So, you know, that's the other thing, too. It's like, the and then there was one woman whose arm, like you know, was like, was taken off because her arm got caught on one of the oh. conveyors. I know, I know. So, you know, the war transformed working, like the war is significantly transformed um, worker rights and working conditions at the mine. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? And those stories, like, that's why, like, and so I wanted to amalgamate her story with the woman who um, started canvassing for the mine mill union. So like, you know, the premise is like she, you know, this woman loses, like, loses her husband and then because the working dishes were poor and then starts to secretly organize and, you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the story there. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Canadian History X and that interview with Sandra. And if you did, please support the podcast by going to Patreon at patreon.com slash CanadaX. You can also email me any questions you have at craig at CanadaX.com and you can find hundreds of articles on my website all about Canada's history at CanadaX.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.